This is Toastcaster, your communication leadership and learning lab, with your host, Greg Gazin. Episode 130, Fear, Conquering That Inner Demon, with our guest, Donald Lee. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Toastcaster, your communication leadership and learning lab. This is your host for today's episode, Greg Gazin. Today, we'll be speaking with Donald Lee. He is an author, speaker, musician, teacher, band director, athlete, and economist. He holds degrees in economics and education and has performed professionally as a musician. He was a member of the 2013 Canadian Triathlon Team and has taught band in several Alberta communities, as well as international schools as far away as Kuwait and Pakistan. Don has recently started his third career, this time as a spiritual author and speaker. His first book was published recently in December of 2019, entitled The Band Director's Lessons About Life, Volume 1, 50 Parables on Life's Performance Cycle. It's a book of modern-day parables with stories inspired by his teaching experience. And if Donald isn't busy enough, he's recently returned to Toastmasters after a two-decade hiatus. He's been an avid participant in speech contests. In fact, he competed in 1995 in the World Championship of Public Speaking, and he'll be one of the upcoming keynote speakers at the District 42 Spring Conference in Lethbridge, Alberta. Speaking to us from Peace River, Alberta, Canada, Donald Lee, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Greg. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here with you. And that, that's uh, thank you very much for that wonderful introduction. It uh, made me think, uh, that guy's got a pretty checkered background. I'm not sure if I trust him. <laughs> Maybe I was afraid to speak with you, but it's interesting because <laughs> we we had a really good conversation offline and we were talking about you know, this fear, this dealing with inner demons. And looking back 60 years that you've dealt with fear in sports and music and dating and job interviews and all kinds of other things, not to mention the people that you've also taught. So in all of those aspects, there probably was a lot of, of fear. So I'm really interested to hear today a little bit more about that fear, you know, where it comes from and perhaps how people can sort of get rid of those, for lack of a better term, performance anxieties. Yes, it's it's an incredible topic, actually. All of us deal with fear basically every day. You know, fear is is ubiquitous and it touches all parts of us. It's it's really psychological, but there's also, you know, the physical component and there's even a spiritual component. And that's why, well, I guess one of the reasons that it really comes up for me now as a spiritual author and speaker, because you know, these things, uh, so much of our lives really begin in spirit and then work through our mind and our bodies and uh, affect us in in all these ways. Now, fear is obviously a human natural reflex, right? The animal sense in us, that quick reflex and that fight or flight. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say is the first thing that we need to know about fear that perhaps we don't know or perhaps we misunderstand? Right. I, I think the first thing is to at least intellectually recognize that we really have nothing to fear. I mean, our, our fears in the modern world are not like the ancestral fears that our, our human ancestors had millennia ago. Right? We're not being chased by saber-toothed tigers or lions or bears and that kind of stuff anymore. And, but that's how our bodies react to fear. 
it's that, as you mentioned, that fight or flight response and their body pumps out adrenaline and our, our heart rate goes up, our blood pressure goes up, you know, uh, we start to sweat and all, all these kind of things that happen that help us in a, in a situation of physical harm, but they really hinder us in our everyday lives because that's just not the kind of response that we need. You know, we're worried about you know what somebody's going to think of us or you know in a job interview i don't know am i saying the right thing or you know am i going to get hired as a toastmaster as a public speaker is one of the greatest fears human people ha humans have most people would rather jump out of an airplane without a parachute than stand up in front of a group of people and talk to them it's it's really amazing and yet nothing's going to happen no one is going to hurt you <laughs> but our our bodies react this way and so from ages and ages ago, I don't even know where it first came from, this little understanding of fear as an acronym for false evidence appearing real. Love it. In the modern world, our fears are really our own imagination creating images of what we don't want to happen. And I, I think of my grandmother every time I think this. She was a worry wart. You know, we used to have that term. Worry. She worried about everything, and I just laugh at her. And and yeah, it's just her imagination. We go, oh, you know, this might happen. No, Granny, that's not going to happen. Don't don't worry about that. And uh, but all of us are like that. Like we create these little imaginary scenarios, and I'm like, oh, this might happen, and that might happen, and they're so unlikely. And then we get all worked up over what might happen. I even have a quote from Mark Twain that I don't have it right on the tip of my tongue, but something to the effect that, you know, I've come through a great many difficulties in my life and most of them never happened. <laughs> and, and our lives are like that, aren't we? I mean, usually the, the things we most are afraid of, uh, they don't happen. But really, we have nothing to fear. That, that's, that's the first thing that we need to know about fear. Yeah, quite often we remember my grandparents, my parents were exactly the same way. And it's like, oh, you better make sure you got clean underwear on in case something happens. Yeah, that's right. Because, you know, if you get taken to the hospital in an emergency, they don't want to see you that you have dirty underwear or something like that. Yeah, right. Okay. That's a, that's a really important thing to worry about. Now, quite often we think of fear. One of the first things we talk about, obviously, is that fight or flight and the saber-toothed tigers. We also think about, you know, public speaking and the butterflies. But there's a lot of other things that fear shows up as, right? Oh, oh, yes. You know, I, I remember when I was a teenager, I was involved in summer club swimming. So every summer we'd we'd be swimming because where I grew up, there was an outdoor pool, as most places in Alberta and across the prairies and stuff. We had outdoor pools in those days. And now most communities have indoor pools, but you can only swim in the summertime. And I remember struggling with with diarrhea in the summertime. And I, thought, ah, I don't know what's going on. And and at one point, my mom took me to the doctor and he put me in the hospital for observation. Of course, there's nothing wrong. And so they couldn't find anything. It was just, it was a little couple day vacation that was boring as heck. It was only much later that I realized I know what's going on. I get diarrhea every weekend when when there's a, a swim meet. It was performance anxiety over the swimming competitions, right? And this is one of the common physiological responses that we have to psychological fear. And and really, it's just a race, right? So you go, you swim your best and no big deal. But when you're in it, I mean, all competitors feel this, whether it's some kind of an athletic event. I mean, I felt it as a as a teenager 
clarinet was my principal instrument and you know i would be in in music festivals competing as a, as a clarinet solo and my mouth would get dry you know and as a clarinet player you got to keep that reed moist and you know mouth is dry and it just feels like it's all shrinking up and oh man i can't play my mouth is so dry what's going on well that's just another one of the common physiological responses of the body to fear or to this this kind of stress that's interesting because I think the natural tendency would be, oh, I didn't drink enough water or perhaps I had too much caffeine the night before or I didn't get enough sleep, but yet it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with with the fear itself. Yeah, it's it's just our natural physiological responses, that flight or, or flight effect kicking in. But, you know, the things you mentioned do affect it. You know, some of the things that we can do to help us deal with our fear or nervousness. Maybe in, in a lot of cases, people wouldn't say, well, I'm not afraid, but I'm nervous or I'm stressed. Well, those are our aspects of fear, right? There's some underlying fear in there, or you would be calm and at peace. But yeah, getting enough sleep is certainly a one thing. When we're tired, we don't deal with stresses as well. And you know, limit your caffeine, of course, that's one thing. We know the physiological responses of caffeine, same as the fight or flight responses, right? Your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, all those kind of things. And if you drink too much caffeine, you know, too much coffee or caffeine, then then you get really jumpy. So that doesn't help you to be calm and at peace and to respond effectively to the stresses in your life either. So those are also important on a physical level as far as dealing with fear on that level. That brings me to the next question is a lot of it quite often is is in our head. So what are some of the things that you found work really well in terms of countering that fear? Yeah, exactly. It, it, it is primarily a psychological phenomenon, right? If we want to look at it that way. And so the things that we can do with our mind, because it's fear is really your your mind working against you. Your mind is creating, as I mentioned earlier, images or outcomes that might happen in the future, which are highly unlikely and, and are negative, right? You're creating images in your mind of what you don't want to happen. So one of the best ways to deal with our nervousness or our fear is, is to counteract that by consciously using our imagination to create images of the outcomes we do want to happen. And, you know, there's so so many books now, the inner game started with the inner, inner game of tennis, I think, right? And then in, there's the inner game of music, which is a great book, the inner game of everything. And that's the basic thesis of that whole inner game of this, that, and the other thing is that use your mind to create positive images of what you want to happen. And then your body will do it. I'm not familiar with the inner stories. Maybe could you share maybe one example on that? Uh, yeah, for, for example, the, uh, the, the I heard the author one time uh, speaking and he told the story about because he was a tennis coach, right? A tennis player, tennis coach. And he was coaching this guy. And, uh, and so, so he asked the, the student, an adult student, right? He said, well, what, you, what, what would you most like help with? And he said, oh, my backhand, you know, my backhand's weak and sloppy or whatever. And then it just, I got a lousy backhand. And they played a little bit. And so and the coach said, okay, I, I, I think I have a sense of what, uh, what your problem is. Who, who do you think has the best backhand in tennis? 
And the student replied, oh, Roger Federer, he's absolutely beautiful. That man is poetry in motion. He's got to, he's an awesome backhand. Oh, okay, well, let's play a little bit. Show me how Roger Federer, you know, hits the backhand. And he went out there. Instantly, the guy's backhand was better. He put in his mind the image of how Roger Federer did it, and then he did it that way. So the image of doing a good backhand in tennis was already in his mind. And his body already knew how to do it. He just wasn't doing it because every time he went to hit the ball, what would he do? He would tell himself, I got a lousy backhand. It's always weak. Ah, there it is again, that weak backhand. You know what? Instead of putting in your mind the positive image of what you want to happen. And as musicians, we do this. I, you know, would often try to, you know, help my students do this, but you know, young youngsters have a hard time catching on to this, it seems. But uh, professionals do this all the time. Professional musicians, we call it silent practice. Right? You don't even have to have your instrument. You just imagine yourself vividly because the mind, I mean, psychologists will tell you this, our mind cannot distinguish between an event that actually happened and an event that was vividly imagined. And so you vividly imagine holding your instrument, your posture is correct, your embouchure is right, your breathing is correct for a wind instrument. You know, I deal mostly with wind instruments. And, you know, you hear the music in your head, you imagine your fingers playing over the instrument exactly in the right way, the sound coming out the way you want it to be, the right, you know, mood and character, articulation, intonate, everything that you want to think about as a musician, you imagine it all happen, happening perfectly. And this is extremely effective. It, you, you think, well, you have to actually practice it. It's silent practice, we call it in music. And in general, we call it positive visualization. And this is one of the best ways we can use our mind to create images of what we do want to happen and then automatically dispel from our mind the images of what we don't want to happen. Well, two things. One, I just looked it up as we were speaking. Inner Tennis Playing the Game by W. Timothy Galway, is that? Yeah, Timothy Galway, exactly. His name had slipped my mind. The other thing that just came to mind was, I think about a year or two ago, I was on a flight from Montreal back to Edmonton, and there was a fellow with headphones on, and he had his tray down, and he was fingering like a piano. Uh-huh. And I just thought, I thought maybe he was just listening to music and having a little fun, but perhaps he might have actually been practicing. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a band director, too. I mean, as conductors, we often do this, put on a recording of the piece you're conducting and go through the motions. Cool. Even if you're not physically going through the motions, but imagining yourself going through the motions, it's, it's also effective. Yeah. Realization, imagination. That's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Our imaginations are so powerful. Even Einstein said imagination is more important than... The knowledge, I think he said imagination. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not sure. I think he said imagination is more important than knowledge. I know there's an athlete, her name is Dr. Joanne Del Cutter, and I believe she, she coined the phrase, imagination is, is realization. And I think the idea there was when you have a challenge is to go back at a time where you were able to overcome it. Mm-hmm. It took her from 19th place in a marathon to second place. And I've been using that to to keep my walking going because... I started walking, in fact, in about four days, five days, it'll be day 1000. So I'm always trying to picture the prize at the end. And then there are days it's like, I'm just so tired. I can't do this. I can't do this. After hearing her philosophy or reading about her philosophy, 
I felt, okay, so if that if the forward looking doesn't work is to look back and to say, oh, you know what? I did 22,000 steps one day. <laughs> 10 shouldn't be a problem, right? So imagine in the time that you were able to do it. And it works. And it, it just yeah. works. One of the things I would love for you to share with our, our listeners is when we had a conversation and you had asked me the question, what was the opposite of fear? And I think I said confidence. And you said, no, you said the opposite of fear is love. Tell us about that. Yes, absolutely. And, and it's it, it's not intuitive. We wouldn't. That's not what we'd come up with. Right. If you asked or, you know, the average person, you know, what's what's the opposite emotion to fear? They'd say, well, you know, confidence, maybe something like that. Um, but actually, it's it's love. Uh, because, uh, I mean, even even St. John in the gospel says perfect love casts out all fear. This is a, is fundamentally a spiritual principle, but it works on a psychological level. I kind of came across this. Actually, it was as a teenager in, a, in another music festival where an adjudicator said that, you know what, lo- lo- love your audience. It struck me at the moment, but I, not the full import of that idea struck me at the moment. But over the years, it, it kind of has developed and, and I've kind of come to learn more about it. And absolutely, as a, as a musician, as a performer, I consciously think that way. And I try to teach my students that, although, like I say, the kids typically don't get it. But as a performer, if I walk out on stage and rather than feeling nervous or scared, you know, I walk out there and I really try to love my audience. I am using music as a medium to communicate love to my audience and really it dispels your fear and your nervousness because the audience doesn't matter if you make a mistake. Everybody makes a mistake. There's no such thing as a perfect performance, right? And But that's not what the audience has come to hear. They've come to be moved. It's the audience's – in drama, we sometimes talk about this. The, the audience comes willing to suspend their kind of rational understanding and to be drawn into uh, the imaginary creation of the performance. And that's what we go to all sorts of concerts for, whether it's a music concert or a, a play or a movie, right? We know the stuff that happens on the screen is imaginary, right? Those guys can't really do that, you know? <laughs> it's, it's Hollywood, it's computer graphic, whatever. You know, we know that stuff, but, but we willingly suspend our belief in reality to be drawn into the fantasy of the moment. And so the audience, even in a musical performance, has come with the hope that they will be drawn into and that they will experience an emotional transformation. And you do that by communicating your love through your music. And and whether you're going to a job interview, you know, it's a totally different situation. You say, how am I communicating love? No, you go into a job interview and you're nervous. Love your interviewer. It will really help to dispel your fear. And whether you get the job or whether you don't get the job uh, really depends more on who else has applied. I tell my students that with every competition, depends on who shows up. I mean, what you know, audition for the part. You know, you don't know whether you're going to get it or not. It all depends on who else auditions. And you don't know who else is auditioning. You don't know when you go into a job interview who else is applying for this job. If you're the only person, even if you did a bad interview, you'd still get the job. You know, if there's 10 people who are who are better qualified than you, even if you do the, like a 
the best job you possibly can. No, there's people more qualified. You're not going to get it. So like, it doesn't help to be scared. Love your interviewer. They, I mean, it's possible that they're as nervous as you are. They might be doing the, their first interview as, you know, you never know, but uh, just relax. Love the process, love the experience, love your interviewer. You will be the best you can be at that moment. And that's perfect. As our time slowly comes to an end, it's been it's been very exciting. For people who perhaps have performance anxiety, they feel that they're very nervous or they have a general fear of whatever they're trying to do or trying to accomplish. Is there one place or one thing that they could do to start realizing where they're at to help them overcome it? Oh, if I were to boil it down to one thing, well, I think the most important thing is love. The, you know, the, the last topic that we touched on here, you know, work at imagining, thinking, you know, imagining love kind of flowing from you out to your audience or the people around you, whoever you are, you know, feeling some conflict or tension within your relationships. Just try to, again, use your imagination to imagine love flowing out from you to them, your fear will subside even if it subsides a little bit i think love is the most effective thing to overcome fear so in the words of john lennon and paul mccartney all you need is love <laughs> all you need is love man <laughs> donald just briefly tell us a little bit about your book and where people can find it oh absolutely well you can find it on all your favorite online and neighborhood bookstores but you can get it at Amazon, you can get it at Barnes & Noble online, you can get it directly from my publisher, which is booklocker.com online. It's available in paperback, in ebook, and in audiobook. Okay, we'll put a link to your site as well. And your website is cominghomespirit.com, is that correct? Yeah, cominghomespirit.com. Okay, and the 22nd version of what your book's about? <laughs> it's a book of modern-day parables inspired by my experience as a band director and a teacher. And so each of the little 50 parables begins with some situation in school, most of which have some grain of truth to them. And all of them have some element of fiction because I've changed the stories and the dialogue to make them, make them fit my purpose. <laughs> and then there's a reflection section in each parable that draws a spiritual lesson out of the events of the story. And it's beautiful. It's a little bit like chicken soup for the soul. You can, you know, you can read a parable in five minutes and then set it down, set it beside your bed, read something positive, inspiring before you drift off to sleep at night. You'll sleep better and it will have a positive impact on your life instead of watching all the troubles of the world on the evening news before you go to sleep. What? No Netflix? Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and you have an offer for our listeners that they could obtain a few of those parables? Absolutely. I've taken five of the 50 parables, put them together in what I call a mini ebook. And if you go to my website, you'll find a little spot where you can click to download my mini ebook for free. If you don't want to spend money on a, on a real book and you just want a taste of them, you can get the free one right from my website. Excellent. Donald Lee, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for being on the program. Pleasure's all mine, Greg. Thank you so much. Take care. Once again, this is Greg Gazin. We appreciate you tuning in. Now, I'm not sure how you joined us, whether you joined us through directly through Toastcaster.com or iTunes, but either way, you can pick up the podcasts there. 
If you really enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you took a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes because it really helps with our ratings. Plus, also feel free to drop us a line. Tell us what types of things you're interested in, what your Toastmasters specialty is, or what kinds of things you like to speak about. And perhaps maybe we'll even have you on the show. This is Greg Gazin. Till the next time. This episode was sponsored by Corey Outsmarts the Butterflies, a new book by Greg Gazin, geared to ages 8 to 80. Whether you want to improve your speaking skills or build your confidence, this short read is suitable for all ages. It's available at outsmartingthebutterflies.com.